So good morning, kids. How are you today? I want to share with you this really interesting thing that I learned this week. Do you guys pray? You don't pray? Good. Thank you for being honest. I pray. Did you know that there are people who pray literally all day long? They pray every time they see the sun, or they pray for their food, or they pray when they put on their clothes. And this, for me, I did not know this until I, until I was reading it this week. And do you know who the people are that do that? They are the people who are known as Jewish people. Did you know Jesus was Jewish? And I learned that they literally pray this really cool, cool prayer. I want to I want to share it with you. Can you bring up that first slide, please, for me? It's on the video right up here on the screen. And it's not in English, but they translate. I had it translated so that it, it's easier for us to say. So I want you to say it with me, okay? I know you don't read, but you can pretend you can use the words I use. Say Baruch. Baruch. Atta. Adonai. Eloheinu. Yeah, that's close. Medek. So if you say that all together, what that means is, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe. And the Jewish people, whenever they pray, they always say that same expression. Which means, blessed are you, Lord. I mean, blessed are you. Elohim, excuse me. Baruch Atah means blessed are you. Adonai Elohim means Lord our God. And Melech HaOlam, King of the Universe. So whenever they pray, they always say, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the Universe, for... And then they say whatever they want to say. And here are some of the things that they say. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. Why do you think they would be praying about bread? Because they're eating. They're getting ready to eat. Do you guys pray before you guys have your meals sometimes? No. See? So if you say, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, thank you for giving us this bread. That's praying a blessing to God and a blessing over your food. Another thing. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who created the fruit on the trees. Why would you say that one? When you're eating fruit, like a banana or grapes or an apple, you say, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, thank you for this fruit. Another one they say, Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, who made creation. Why would you pray that? When they look at the sun, or the mountains, or the beautiful, or maybe a moose outside. And they're, they're acknowledging that God created all of it. So they're saying, blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe, you made all of this, and I give you praise. Another thing that they say, a blessing to God. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who made the sea, or the ocean. Why would you say that? When you're swimming at the beach, you're sitting. Isn't that you can pray about absolutely everything. And you know one of the things about the Jewish people, when they pray, I mean when they go to church, or when they have special meetings uh, in, their, in their homes or whatever, they have special prayers that they say. 
Almost all the time, the prayers start up. Baruch Atah Adonai Elokeinu Me'emelech Ha'olam, which means blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the Universe, and then they have all these other words that they pray. But sometimes, when they're at the church, they say all of the same prayers every single week. So like sometimes we pray, but we don't always say the same words. Every week they say the same prayer over and over and over again. And you know, some, there was one guy, This is I, I was reading this in this story. There was this one guy who was walking home, but he got lost in the woods. And it said it got to be nighttime, and he still was stuck in the woods. He was going to be okay. He was going to be safe because he had a sleeping bag and a coat. He could start a fire. But he didn't have the prayer book with him that had all the prayers written down. And he, he didn't have them memorized. And so he tried to pray to God. And he said, Dear God, I have done such a silly thing. I don't have my prayer book. And I have such a poor memory. I, I can't recite all the prayers by heart because I just don't know them by heart. But God, you know the prayers. So I'm just going to say the letters of the alphabet. And then you put all those letters together in the right order so that the prayers are said correctly. And you know what the, the guy's pastor told him? That was probably the best prayer he could have prayed. Because God sees our heart. We don't have to say the right words. We don't have to say exactly the correct words when we pray. We just have to tell God what's in our heart. God, thank you for loving me. God, thank you for this food. God, thank you for making creation. God, thank you for everything. That's all. Just talk to God because he's your friend. Yes, ma'am. You know what the prayers that I like to say is help the people that have that are poor that don't have lots of stuff that have to build their own houses. Amen. Help the people that are poor that don't have their a lot of stuff that have to and need help with their they even getting their own houses. That's wonderful prayer to pray. Because that's praying not just for your own stuff, that's praying for yeah. other people. How else can you pray? What? What's in the fans? Well, those 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 fans are cloths so that you have. You can actually worship the Lord when you're praying or when you're singing. Those that's what those are for. Cool. Well, I want to pray with you guys and for you guys right now. Okay. God, I ask that you bless each one of these kids, and I ask God that you would help them to come to understand that you love talking to them, not just at church and not just before they have a meal and not just before they go to bed. But that you and they can talk anytime, all day long, and they don't have to use special words. They just have to talk to you and tell you that they love you. So God, we give you praise. And we close this time by saying those words. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you guys can head on back now, okay? And I'm going to go back to my seat. What am I doing? Just right. No, I'll just do it. Oh. Holy Spirit. Thank you. We won't go into too many details. Just know that I wasn't here last week because I was exposed to COVID. And so she's making sure that I don't get exposed again. So... <laughs> All right. Well, I start again. Um, this week, 
I am on, I, mean, I start again, I am on the board of directors for, the, for Camp Maranatha. And you heard us in our prayer to, oh, haha. When I was making announcements, there was an announcement that was supposed to be made. The manual of the Church of the Nazarene requires that I announce to you three services before it happens. Our annual elections are happening on the 27th of February in the worship, I mean, immediately following the worship service. There, I have met the requirement of the, of the law. <sighs> and I will say it next week and next week, and then we're okay. Sorry about that. All right. Um, I'm on the board of directors for the camp. For the camp, that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited about promoting for you guys the Raise the Roof Fund that they're doing. But I'm also excited about the, all of the other things that are going on at the camp. For those of you who have never been to the camp, you need to go. It's 350 miles away. Yes, it's a long drive. Yes, but it's a beautiful, beautiful place. It's a place where you can go to be quiet and meet with God. Um, the people that are working there are great servants. They have powerful, powerful ministry. And one of the things that's really, really cool is all the new things that are going on. We hear about the roof of the dining hall because that's what you're being, it's being promoted to you about. But literally, they have upgraded Langley Lodge to the point now where just two weeks, not two weeks ago, a week ago, yeah. now when you go to Langley Lodge, they give you a, a key card and you tap the card up against the doorknob and your door unlocks for you, just like a regular hotel. No longer do you have to leave your purse or your belongings in your room and go down to the gym hoping nobody's going to go into your room and rifle through your things. Woohoo! I know that's a crazy thing, but this is the world we live in. And so these things are starting to happen and they're upgrading a lot of stuff um, at Camp Maranatha. Another thing that's going on, they had what was called the three-walled shed and it was just a metal shed open to the air. They just stored junk in it. And John asked the board, John is the executive director, and he asked the board, he said, why can't we use this building for more than just a storage shed? And we were like, well, he said, well, let me do some investigating and found out that what we thought was true was not true, that the building was still sound, it was still usable. And so he he cast a vision before the board. The board said, let's do it. And work and witness teams have been coming now over the course of the last year, and they are building staff apartments and uh, a garage and workshop there on the camp so that they will be able to actually hire new staff and give them housing so that we'll have a, an enclosed garage to do work on all the equipment instead of having to send it downtown to have somebody work on it because they don't have a garage there at the camp. That's another thing that's happened. Another thing that's happened. Bring this slide up. This is what I I'm so excited, even though it doesn't affect my life right now. <laughs> the, the one that's the snow with the. Okay. If you've been to Camp Maranatha and you stand in the dining hall and look out the windows of the dining hall, you see off in the distance the beautiful mountains, the Chukiak Range. Just before that, you see all of these trees and then you see the lake, which is Hourglass Lake. And then you see the campfire pit and the, the amphitheater that they have there. And just at, just beyond the amphitheater and just beyond the campfire is the wetlands where the lake is starting. And what they are doing now is they are putting out, you can see it on the screen, they're putting a walking pier that will become a fishing deck or a, a deck where you can just bring a chair and sit out and meditate in front of the, 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 the camp, I mean the, the lake and the mountains. It's just gonna be a beautiful, quiet place for prayer, meditation, and for fishing. And so I've been watching the videos as John, the executive director, has been showing videos on their website saying, I'm so excited what's going on. And the last, 
week, before kids went last weekend for kids camp, he had this big, huge piece of equipment out there driving these steel tubes down into the ground. And I was like, what in the world? Now, I'm a carpenter. I know a little bit about construction, but I didn't know what in the world that was. And so I asked John, what's going on? He said, those are piles that are being driven by a pile driver. So it was like, ka-chunk, ka-chunk, ka-chunk. And what he's doing, they were driving down these metal pipes down into the ground until they hit bedrock. Because that area of the campground is right there along the edge of the lake and the water is, I mean, the ground is saturated with water and anytime they try to build anything, the things pop up out of the ground and everything goes cattywampus. Has anybody ever experienced that in the Two Rivers area? No, I can show you the piers from our first porch and ramp that are still in the woods over there because they were literally popped up out of the ground 30 years ago when they were first put in. So what he did was he worked with an engineer and then they hired a company to drive pile down into the bedrock. So what those things that you're seeing sticking up out of the snow are, that's actually ice. That's where the water is. They've actually driven those down 30 to 50 feet until they hit something solid. And then they'll fill that with, thank you, they'll fill that with concrete. And then they'll weld beams to it and a framework, and then they'll put the decking on it. And that way, that pier, that walking area will be there forever. And it won't be all of this, and it'll be safe. And yes, it cost them more than a thousand dollars over what they anticipated because they had to go so deep to get to the bedrock that it took more material and more time to drive it. But by doing it correctly the first time and expending the money the first time and going deep enough the first time, it will not become a maintenance problem. It will be a, a thing that people can be blessed by, that God can be glorified by. And so it's, 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 it's exciting as a board member to see our executive director taking that type of caution and care and not just throwing something out there because it's fun and we want to do this. Because when you do that, you just throw good money after bad after good money after bad. Now we're going to have something that's going to last for a long, long time. Now, I brought this picture up from the Internet. This came from an engineering website because I don't know nothing about pile driving. So I looked into it and I learned something. The one that you see that's on the left-hand side of your screen, you see that this pile has been driven all the way down to the dark green on the screen. What that is, it's representing that the pile has hit bedrock or at least solid rocky ground that's not moving under there. That could be 20 feet away, that could be 30 feet, 50 feet down. Who knows? But that pile has hit the bedrock, so they've not, it's not going to go any farther. And so the, literally the earth is supporting that pile. That's called an end beam pile. Now you notice the other pile that only goes down into the, to the uh, what's it called, the weak soil. And it's got those up and down red arrows. That's still an engineering uh, phenomenon. It's called a friction pile. And what that is, is the engineer has said that the soil is 
I mean, that the soil is such that you can use the soil to hold the pile in place, but the, the, uh, the bedrock is so far down, it's not going to happen for you to be able to get a pile all the way down. You just can't. It's just too far down. So we're going to use friction to hold the pile in place. There's a third style of pile that I didn't have a picture of, and that uses a combination of the end beam pile and the friction pile so that you get stability. The whole reason I'm telling you this is this is something I know nothing about, but this is something I've had to learn so that as a board member, I can talk intelligently with our camp director to say, are we doing this according to engineering standards? Because it's my responsibility to hold the executive director feet to the fire to make sure he's doing the job well so that we don't spend good money after bad. So I have taken the time to educate myself so that I can talk with him as an intelligent board member, so that we can make sure that what we are doing is being done well, efficiently, and to the best of our ability. Now, what does that have to do with anything on this Sunday morning? Let's go to the next slide. If you will turn with me to Luke chapter 6. In the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, we have the very famous, what was called the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus' lengthy dissertation about various spiritual things. Luke has the Sermon on the Plain. It's basically the same teachings, um, and it's just written from Luke's perspective. So if you go to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, these words are part of Jesus' Great sermon. So Jesus said, verse 46, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the bedrock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and couldn't shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Now, there was a, um, a YouTube video that I saw that I wish I had time to show it to you. It's only seven minutes long. Um, but it was really, really cool in what helped me, helping me to understand this idea of using piles and foundations and bad soil. And what this is, is that there's a, a house being built on Lake Austin, just outside of Austin, Texas. And <coughs> beautiful, beautiful subdivision, beautiful, beautiful multi-million dollar home, possibly, or at least hundreds of thousands of dollars, at least, maybe even a million dollars. And um, they had an engineer come and do a core drill to find out that literally it was 50 feet down to bedrock and that all of the soil between bedrock and the ground at the top was so water saturated that literally the water table came to just within four feet of the, of the top of the soil. So you could dig a hole down four feet and you'd have it filling up with water. And so for them to be able to build a multi-million dollar home, or at least hundreds of thousands of dollar home, they had to have a good, solid foundation, which included having to drive pile down to bedrock. And they incorporated in the plan that it would be, that the pile would be placed strategically across the property, and then they planned concrete beams as part of the five-inch slab on top of the beams that all tied into these piers. So they this literally what it ended up being. I wish you could see it because it was so cool. They literally had 50-foot 
long or tall piers, piles, excuse me, that were driven down to the bedrock. So the way the guy described it was this $100,000 home was literally sitting above all of that soupy mess. Now, you live in Fairbanks. If you've ever driven over by the fair, the University of Alaska Fairbanks, heading out of town from the, from the college and university area and heading up towards Farmer's Loop, if you look to the right, you will see a two-story house that looks like this. The ridge line literally is a U or a smile because the soil there was so bad and they didn't put in a good foundation. You go to a church that struggles with our foundation. If you go sit in the corner of that foyer right now, or better yet, go downstairs into the room below it, you sit like this. Why? Because there was a void that happened sometime years ago. We think it might have been an ice lens that melted. We don't know, but all we, all we know is that our foundation did this after the building was built. And there's nothing we can do about it at this point. Why is this being said to you? Why this scripture? Because it is important, Jesus' own words, it is important that you have a solid, a rock-solid foundation when you're trying to build your life. It is a rock-solid thing. It is a teaching that Jesus taught. It was so important, it it was quoted almost verbatim in two separate Gospels. But I bet you, you didn't even hear me say verse 46. You heard me say 47, 48 and 49 because you're so familiar with the man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. But what did Jesus say in verse 46? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't even do what I tell you? Bring up that next slide. I showed you what the kids what the Jewish people do when they pray. Baruch atah Adonai Elohenu Melech HaOlam. Blessed art thou, Lord. You are Lord. Elohim, I mean, Adonai means Lord. Elohenu, um, Lord God. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? It doesn't make that much of a difference to us in our world today. The word Lord gets thrown around a lot. We don't have as much emotional stuff tied to that word as the people who were originally hearing Jesus preach that sermon. But if you think about it, in that time, who was the world government? Rome. Did you know that if you were under Rome's authority... Every single one of you who wanted to benefit from the privileges of being a Roman citizen had to publicly, once a year, take a pinch of incense, drop it into the sacred flame, and declare, the emperor is Lord. Which meant he was divine and I worship him. That's literally what you had to do to be a Roman citizen. Jewish people never, ever, ever would submit to that. There is only one God. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam. God, King of the universe. You are our Lord. 
Now, Jesus, who we Christians understand to be God, is preaching to Jewish people who are under this cultural problem of tensioning, the tension of, this is my Lord, not Caesar, and I have this issue, and now you want me to call him Lord? You see why Jesus got crucified? So there's a lot more to calling somebody Lord than simply, oh Lord, I bless your name. I bless you, Lord. Glory to your name, Lord. It's a big deal to call Jesus Lord. So thinking about it in those terms, when Jesus said to these people in his major sermon, why do you call me Lord, Lord? Adonai Eloheinu. Lord God. Why do you call me that, but then you don't do what I say? Bring up the next slide. It's the Romans one. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It's a very, 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 very familiar one. If you've ever memorized the Romans road to salvation, this is one of the key verses. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a simple thing. As Elsie said, as Royce said this morning in our time of worship, we, <coughs> excuse me, we don't do anything to be saved. It is not ours to, to do. It is not something that we have to fashion in order to be acceptable in God's eyes. It is simply an act of faith on our part. And it is speaking Jesus is Lord, declaring it and believing it in your heart. That's how you get saved. Okay? We teach it all the time. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is grace that you've been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not your works, so that no one can boast. So we understand that to be called a Christian, there is this decision on my part that Jesus is indeed Lord. He is God. And I am serving him. And I am following him. But I'm not doing anything to make myself a Christian. I am just accepting by faith that I am a child of God with all of the rights and all of the privileges of being a child of God. Bring up the next slide, please. If you are a Christian and you have had to say Jesus is Lord, then this question applies to your life. Why do you call him Lord and then not do what he tells you to do? Now, I am not saying that any one of you are guilty of that. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. But if that is true, then let's look at the corresponding part of Jesus' sermon out of Matthew. Remember, Jesus, Matthew did the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, Luke did the Sermon on the Plain. It's the same teaching of about the same time frame, but they just call it different things, different perspectives. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Verses 21 through 23. So I'm going to read that. I don't have the whole thing on the screen. But Matthew chapter 7. Verses 21 through 23. Is exactly this passage we've been looking at at Luke. Okay, so it's 21. And he said. Oops. I said I'm looking at Mark 7. That's why that's not the right words. <laughs> 
There we go. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Yes, God, I understand that my position with you is through faith, not of works. I understand it is your grace and your mercy that makes me a child of God. But I also know that if I read in James, if I read in Romans, if I read in Corinthians, that my faith is displayed or is manifested through my work. And I'm hearing these people say that they were in your name performing miracles. Greater works than I've ever done. And you're saying to them, you never knew them? Help me to understand this, God. Help me to get what you're trying to teach me. Because this was one of Jesus' primary teachings. This was out of the Sermon on the Mount. So, Jesus, if you're saying to me that my declaring you as Lord... And even doing your work is not necessarily going to be considered righteousness. Then what is? Because, I mean, one of the concerns, especially, especially in Western culture, is that we have, we have been duped into this mindset that you can hear it in, in the marketplace. People who are not Christians, people who are not in right relationship with that, you hear them say, oh, they were a good person. I know they're in heaven. Where did that come from? Who taught them that if you live a good life, you go to heaven? That you were for a good person, you go to heaven? If you give to the poor, you go to heaven? I saw one graphic today, not yesterday, it was yesterday, and it was somebody standing at the grave and they said, oh, he's in a better place. And underneath that image, they showed the pit of hell with the, with, with the people writhing in the, in the dark place. And I was like, I, I literally couldn't watch. It was so dark. I had to just, you know, turn it off. I mean, just block that part that, that, that somebody posted it on Facebook. But the reality is, especially I hear it all the time because I'm a pastor. Oh, they're in a better place. Mm. But at the same time, I want to know that I know that I know that I'm in right relationship with God. And I believe that I can. So how do I parse all this out? God, what do I do? Well, let me give you a couple scriptures that God showed me. First, go to the next slide. They're both on the same slide. The first one is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says all scripture is God is God breathed or is breathed out by God and profitable. And it lists all the things that it's possible, profitable for. But specifically, it said it's profitable for training in righteousness. So the word of God, if you read the word of God, if you study the word of God, if you apply the word of God into your own life and incorporate it into who you are, then it will train you up in righteousness. And what is righteousness? Being in right relationship with God. And then the Acts chapter 17 verse, what that is, is talking about a time when Peter, I mean when Peter, when Paul went to Ephesus, I believe it was Ephesus, and he went to this one area called Berea, 
And it says that the, he went to the synagogue there to preach to the Jews first. And those Jews, every single night after he spent the day preaching, would go home and they would search the scriptures for themselves to verify that what Paul was saying was correct. Now, do not raise your hand. But in the last month, how many of you have verified me? Don't raise your hand, please. How many of you have heard my sermons over the last month and you have gone intentionally to the scriptures to make sure that what I'm teaching in this church is according to the word of God? If not, why not? I'm not above reproach. I'm a human being who can make a mistake. Look at the horrible things that have happened over the night, over the 20th century of cults. Started out as Christian people ended up drinking Kool-Aid and dying by the hundreds. So it is your responsibility, sheep, to make sure that I'm giving you good food. And the way you do that is you go back to the bedrock, to the foundational stone of Jesus Christ and his teachings, to make sure that I'm doing it right. So none of you can escape that admonition. <laughs> I'm not saying you're not living righteously. I'm not saying you haven't applied the teachings of Christ to your life. That's between you and God. But I am telling you, if you could not raise your hand this morning and say that you have in the last four weeks verified against the word of God that what I'm saying is correct, then you need to change for our own sake, for your sake as well as mine. Now, go ahead and just bring up that last slide. <coughs> this is a familiar hymn. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. You didn't have to pull out the hymnal to sing that. You know it. Why do you know it? Because it's part of your history. It's part of your culture. It's how you grew up. I can tell you, I didn't grow up in a Nazarene church. I didn't even grow up in an evangelical church. I didn't even grow up in a, Pentecost, in a Protestant church. I grew up in a Catholic church. When I opened the Bible for the very first time for myself at the age of 16, after asking Jesus to be my Savior, confessing my sins, and becoming a child of God, I opened the Bible for the very first time and I read Genesis at the beginning because that's where you start in a book, right? You go from the from the beginning and you read to the end. And I got to around Genesis chapter 9 and I went, literally, I read it and I went, Noah's in the Bible? Wow! Because see, as a child, I had gone to the classes that my parents made me go to on Saturday afternoon. And they taught us about Noah and Jonah and the great fish. And they taught us about the, 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 the prodigal son. And they taught us, but they never opened up this and read it to me from this. It was always a little handout or a little coloring sheet. Why do you think when I stand before our children, this is in my hand and I'm reading from it? Because they need to see their pastor bringing the word of God to them. That's what I'm talking about. We need to be a people of the book. It needs to be the bedrock on which we build our life. 
And unfortunately, especially in Western culture, especially for those of you who grew up in that church, you can just go through the motions and have it never affect you at all. And it is those people to whom Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, when you don't even do what I say? Depart from me. I never knew you. Can you imagine? I don't think any one of you in this room have any danger of that. I have enough knowledge of who you are as people that you, I think, are in the word, putting it into your world, making it part of who you are. It is forming and shaping you. If it's not, that's a pretty scary thought. And if you know somebody that's not that way, but names Jesus, you need to be praying for him. And you need to let me know about it so that I can get in their face because I have the permission to do that. (laughs) Y'all pay me to do that. So anyway, that's that's what I felt like I needed to say this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord God, King of the universe. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's in my language. Thank you that it's accessible to me. Help me to never take it for granted. Help me to be intentional about reading it and applying it to my life. And help me, Father, to bring it into my everyday conversations so that those around me can be exposed to it. I give you praise, Father, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.